0: Thank you for tuning in to Tuolumne Community Baptist Church Podcast. My name is George, pastor of the church, and I'm here bringing you Sunday's message. This was for Sunday, uh, February 2019. It was uh, February 10th, and it's a message that I really wanted to get out, but we had technical difficulties with our equipment, and I couldn't get it recorded then. So I'm bringing it to you tonight uh, from my office, and I hope that you enjoy And I hope that this is something that will help you and lift you with wherever you're at in your life. The title of the message today is, You Already Know. I know this is an interesting title, but it's something the Lord has put on my mind and my heart. And I gotta tell you, it didn't come easy. Let me explain. I went to see my family doctor as I do about every six months. You see, after having a major heart surgery in your life, you must become really good friends with the people who say they want to keep you alive. Your GP, your general practitioner, and your cardiologist. I have to say I believe the Lord has given me good doctors to help me meet my goals. But let me tell you something, a little something about my GP. I've always considered him a friend before he was ever my doctor. Remember me sharing you with you my story when we lived in Groveland? This is where I started the motorcycle shop. One day, the man who becomes my personal doctor and my dear friend stopped by the shop and asked if I sold any bicycle parts or did any work on them. Of course, I said no. And he said, why? You should consider doing bicycle parts or maybe even some work on bicycles because everyone who needs anything concerning bicycles must go to Sonora. You know, I thought that's not a bad idea. So I made a few phone calls and I made a contact and I became a mongoose dealer. Now, this was before Walmart uh, began to sell that brand and and I believe cheapened it up so much, but it's okay. It was a good quality bicycle. This was, uh, this was, he was so impressed with this that he had decided to buy a bicycle for his son. And later I thought I'll buy one for myself and one for my son because our sons were pretty close to the same age and we began riding together. About a year later I had an accident in my shop no not on the bicycle I had dropped a motorcycle actually and I crushed my right hand and and broke my hand. So he did his very best to to try to heal me up and and take care of it and I was pretty stubborn about it I think I even cut my cast off because I'm an idiot but back then you have to understand I was about 200 pounds and at least an inch taller than I am now even back then he was always on me about my weight he thinks I should be 165 pounds I said he's nuts now close to 30 years later I'm a full inch shorter which I don't get I I still don't get that and about 65 pounds heavier than I was back then. You can only imagine our conversations every time I go to see him. I've almost stopped seeing him because I get so tired of what I feel is abuse. I keep telling him I am who I am. And I tell him he only wishes he was as good looking as me. Well, he used to laugh at that. He's not laughing anymore. I believe from a, a doctor's perspective I think he's a little tired of me so this is what he did he pulled the preacher of the gospel card he had asked me if I had ever got tired of telling people the truth of the gospel to only see them completely ignore what I have taught them and do things their own way they're constantly getting themselves into some kind of trouble whether it be spiritual or physical or marital or whatever it may be and you can always see it coming the whole time. I said, yes, I do see that in the church. He then said, do you ever get tired of telling people over and over what they already know? I just sat there thinking that I didn't need this abuse. I believe he finally got under my thick skin. He actually made me mad at him, and I was thinking, I need a new doctor. Then he asked me, Why are you wasting your time and your money coming all the way up here to Groveland to see me? And all he can do is tell me what I already know. You know, this really struck me hard. And as upset as I was, he said, you know what? Let's pray about it, George, okay? And so he prayed over me. Today, I'm going to preach to you on a subject that I find very near and dear to me. And I think it's something you probably already know. Notice I didn't say teach, I said preach. There's a big difference. If I was going to teach on joy today, I would be telling you something you didn't know or maybe never heard it explained that way before. But because I'm preaching it to you, I believe I'm preaching something you already know sometimes we choose not to respond to his word because we don't like it we say it that's not fair or we say preacher it's just too hard whatever for the next 37 minutes or so i'm going to preach to you what you already know today's message like i said earlier is on joy so what's controlling your joy When I was in my 20s, I thought my joy was how many jobs I had, how much money I could earn, and all that I could get done. In my 30s, I thought I was a little smarter than all that, and I thought maybe it was more about how much property I could own, or how many cars and how many things I could buy. In my 40s, it was how much influence that I might be able to have on my employees or my clients, but there was still something always missing. Now in my 50s and my 60s, everything has changed. I find myself praying, Father, my joy is in you, just you, and nothing else matters. Joy truly comes from what I know. Joy has nothing to do with me being happy, being well, wealthy, or broke, busted, and disgusted. Joy has to do with what I know. Some people think they can find joy, but that makes it something that's put there to be found. And it's not. We have to develop in this godly joy, this Jesus kind of joy. You think joy comes when you find a new job or a boyfriend or a new girlfriend. Happiness does not have to be present Happiness does not have to be present to have joy. Let me give you a, an example, a biblical example in James. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Let me read it to you out of the Living Bible, the same James 1 2 through 4. He said, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems, for when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything strong in character, full and complete. Man, this is the kind of joy that I want to have. But we have to understand, we endure hard times, and they're going to come. So part point number one is the distinction of joy. Trials, or as the King James says, diverse trials. Trials can come when you're in plenty or when you're in lack. It doesn't matter. Trials make no distinction as to where you live or where you are in life. Joy is not a product of what people say or think about you. Joy has no concern with your status in life or your success. Guess what? trials are exactly the same they don't care who you are or what you have or you don't have they're coming as well as life itself is coming every time you breathe in and breathe out if you haven't experienced problems i'm telling you brothers or sisters it's coming but understand this there is a difference between trials and temptations temptations are something we must resist but a trial is something that we need to learn how to accept and go through it i got to admit some trials are pure evil set in place to trip us up to make us fall they had nothing to do with what you were doing or what you were thinking it just happened you got hit by a truck on the road it just happened But some trials come just simply because of bad decisions you have made. You can stop rebuking the devil and rebuke your own ability to make good decisions. You see, because we have to remember, Jesus said he won't leave us nor forsake us. We have to trust him. There's a price to pay when we decide to go against God's word things can open and enter in because we open the door with foolish decisions. This happens to us so easily. So what is point number two? Point number two is we need wisdom. James 1, five says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives it to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him we need wisdom to know the difference between a good decision and a bad one ask yourself is what you're really wanting a temptation to get you off track to possibly kill you what did satan come to do he came to steal to kill and to destroy he is not your friend oh he may wine and dine you you know he may you know it may look like the perfect opportunity but we need to know whether it's a good decision or not. You know, one day driving through, I think it was San Andreas, there's a a church there right on the main road and they have a marquee sign in front of the church. And I always love it. Whenever I drive through there, I always slow down so I can check and see what it is the sign had to say. It's always something, he always has a catchy phrase. And it said this week, it said that I saw it, it said, no Jesus, no joy. And this is how he spelled it, K-N-O-W. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no joy. Now, I just thought that was really cute. I get what they were trying to say, but there's, uh, there's a lot of things that we can do that have fun without Jesus. I mean, think about it. You can have a crispy cream donut without Jesus. You don't have to be saved to indulge yourself like many of us do in the name of Jesus. No Jesus, no joy. I understand what it is they were trying to say, but, you know, riding a motorcycle is a lot of fun, and I've done it for years without Jesus. Now, let me say, I don't get on my motorcycle today without pleading the blood of Jesus over it and the direction and the, the trip that I'm going to take because he is riding there alongside of me. But what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of things you can do in life without Jesus and have fun. But there's a big difference between having joy and happiness. Now, I realize that if you look up this word joy in the Greek, that it, it has many meanings and happiness is one of them. Happiness has to do with the moment. In the midst of a trial, happiness is hard to find. Joy is something you express and believe in even though the trial is at hand understand even though you're in the midst of going through something you count it all joy because you know that you're going to come through this because Jesus said he would never leave you he'd never forsake you and you believe that let's look at hebrews 12:1 and 2 therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God man we have to really look at this carefully and pay attention to what we're reading it said, who for the joy that was set before him. So it wasn't that the cross wasn't painful. It wasn't that, you know, because he was God, that it's supernaturally he didn't feel the pain of them driving the nails through his hands or his feet. That That's absurd. He felt the pain the same as you or I would feel. But the joy that was set before him, he knew the end result. He knew that God was there with him. He wasn't surprised when they drove the nails into his hands. He wasn't surprised when they spat on him. So what, so what was it? It was that he knew the finished work. He knew the result of the pain. He knew what was, he was going through, that it was going to save you and me and the whole world of their sins. Joy is a focus, not a feeling. King David understood this when he was in the darkness hiding. But he understood that his joy is in what he knew about God. His circumstances did not dictate his joy. When he wrote Psalm 16, he was hiding in a cave. He was in distress. But this is what he says in verse 7 and 8. He says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night sessions the night sessions that's the darkness the night of a situation is is in the midst the deepest part of our troubles he says in verse 8 I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand and I shall not be moved joy is not the absence of sadness nor is it the presence of happiness joy is a state of mind that is not moved no matter what the circumstances are what can separate you from the love of god we have to ask ourselves that and we have to realize no matter what the circumstances i've been through many difficult circumstances in my life the loss of loved ones and i put that with an S on the end of it, with loss of loved ones. I've lost many people very close to me, and each time it was difficult, it was hard, but I know that going through this, that I will see the other side. I know the end result. I will see my loved one in heaven. I know that God will never leave me and forsake me. I know that heaven is real. John 15, 10 says... Jesus said this himself. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So you see, if we say what we believe, there there is a condition here that we need to keep his commandments and we need to learn that we will abide in his love. He says in verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy... May remain in you. And that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another. As I have loved you. People this thing of joy. Is something that I believe you have already known. But I think it's something that we must. Begin to develop in. At a greater level. With a greater responsibility. Because see, hard times are coming. And if we don't stand through the small trials, when we get to the big ones, we will not be able to stand. We will not make it. We will curse God and shake our fists at him and blame him for everything that we're going through because we don't understand how to operate in joy. I think my doctor seen this in me. You know, that he knows that I know how to lose weight. He knows that I understand that my heart will last longer if I lose weight, that my life could potentially be longer if I would just take his advice and lose some weight. Well, folks, I gotta tell you, I've taken his advice and I'm already hard at work. I'm not gonna go crazy with it and you know, start fasting for a week and you know, doing nothing but drinking water. I'm not gonna do anything like that, but I'm gonna start eating better and making small changes that are consistent that will that the changes that I know that I can make and remain and keep doing those changes and I know that I will see the results you see when we serve the F- father it, he's not looking for us he's not looking for us to to change everything all at once he says just take a step towards me just trust me just move a little bit in my direction and know that i am here that i am god and as we take each small step we'll begin to grow just like when you were saying that when we get through these trials if we can endure the trials that our perseverance will grow that our patience will grow and we will become a person that is not lacking anything it is so awesome what how God has set it up, that this is a journey. This takes time. This is a process. With that, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to go into this next week. The title of the message is going to be You Already Know, Part 2. And I believe we're gonna. I'm going to give you some great Bible stories that shows that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Every phase that he went through of his ministry, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do. And we need to be in a place where we know, no matter what the circumstances look like around us, no matter what it appears, what the world may see that we're going through, we will know that heaven is real and that God is with us and he has never forsaken us. And I believe that we will come through flying like an eagle because we believe in the king. God bless you, brothers and sisters. I hope you enjoyed this message and hopefully this equipment will work for us this next Sunday so we can pick up the next one. In Jesus' name, God bless. Bye-bye.
1: Jesus Christ, do you think you are what they say you are. You remember that day when Saul, who was persecuting Christians, was on the road to Damascus, and a blinding light came, and he fell down, and the first question he asked was, Who art thou, Lord? Who is Jesus? Why cannot we escape him? Why is he in our conscience and in our mind, so that our plays and our poems and our operas are about him? Is he just a revolutionary hero? Why is he something more? He only lived 33 years. He never traveled more than a hundred miles. He never had any formal education. And yet, 2,000 years later, an entire generation is talking about Jesus Christ. Some say that he was a madman. Was he? There were others that said he was revolutionary. He'd come to lead a revolution. Was he a revolutionary? In the sense that he changed men's lives, he was. But he never led a revolution against Rome. Or was Jesus an establishment man? Jesus Christ is not the establishment Christ. He's building another kingdom. He's building an eternal kingdom. And then there were people that said that he was deliberately evil. That he was an evil man. That he was a devil. What was he? That's the question. Jesus Christ, who are you? Who is Jesus? We can't escape him. We try to run from him, but there he is. He keeps popping up everywhere. Our greatest philosophers write about him. Our greatest historians write about him. Our greatest poems and plays are about him. You go anywhere in the Soviet Union and you'll see images and art and much of the music has to do with Jesus. They can't escape him. Well, we know some things about him. We know he was a man. Jesus was completely human. He was representative of man, because the Bible says he was identified, he was numbered with the transgressors. We know that he was hungry, we know he got thirsty, we know he got tired. We know that he had the joys of friendship, we know that he wept at the tomb of a dead loved one. We know that he had all the characteristics of a man, and yet very interestingly the Bible says that he never committed a sin. There isn't a trial or a testing or a temptation that Jesus has not been through before you and he resisted them and overcame them all. He was a man. Just like you. But he was more than that. He claimed to be the unique, only begotten, incarnate son of God. In fact, he claimed pre-existence. The scripture says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Before time began, he existed. He said before Abraham was, I am. I am in eternal existence. No wonder they got angry. No wonder they threw stones at him. No wonder they tried to kill him. And no wonder they eventually did crucify him. He stood and said, I am God. Was he? Was he who he claimed to be? The son of the living God? Jesus Christ claimed. To be the Son of the Living God. And you know, at his incarnation, or his birth, that was not his birth, or that wasn't the beginning, that wasn't the origin of Jesus. That was the beginning, that was the beginning of his incarnation. Because he has always existed. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God, the Bible says. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. In other words, the Logos, the Word of God, the eternal God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and lived like a man among us. He was not just another great man. He was God in the flesh. And oh, the ethics that he taught. Never a man spake like that man. In the Ten Commandments thou shall not commit adultery, but I tell you That if you even look on a woman to lust after you've already committed it. He said Moses said thou shall not murder But I tell you if you have hate in your heart against your brother without cause you're already guilty He lifted man's ethics to the highest plane and demanded that we live that kind of a life live that kind of a life? How do you explain Jesus? Jesus Christ, are you what you say you are? You know, they only brought three charges against him to crucify him. One, they said, this man loves sinners. That was one charge. The second, he healed on the Sabbath day. And the third, He claimed to be the son of God. Was he the son of God? Look at his authority. Jesus came unto them and spake unto them saying, All authority has been given to me. I know one thing. He forgave sin and no prophet ever did that. And Then look at the death he died. Did ever a man die like Jesus? The lightning flashed and the thunder roared and the earth began to shake. And even the soldiers confessed that this must be the Son of God. Anyone that can see Jesus on that cross and not be touched has a heart of stone. They first took off his clothes. Then they took long leather thongs with steel pellets or lead pellets on the end and beat him across the back until he could hardly stand up. Then they put a crown of thorns on his brow and his face was bleeding. And they laughed at him and they spit on him and they mocked him. And with one snap of his finger, 72,000 angels had already drawn their swords ready to come to his rescue and wipe this planet out of existence in the universe. And Jesus said, no, to this end was I born. And he dragged and lifted and hauled that cross. The man that helped Jesus carry that cross was a black man. And don't ever forget another thing. Jesus belongs to Africa as much as he does to Europe and Asia. He was born in that part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe and Jesus like me, nor was he as black as some of you. We don't know what the color of his skin, but it must have been a dark color like the people of his day, because he was a man like them. Don't ever say it's a white man's religion or a black man's religion. It's a world religion. He belongs to the world. When he died on that cross, they nailed him. They put the nails in his hands. And you know what he said, forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgive them. Could you forgive somebody that's putting nails in your hands and you know you didn't deserve it? That's how he confronted the violence of his death. And then, on the cross, he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he dropped his head and said, it's finished.
0: What did he mean?
1: He meant your plan of salvation was finished. God can now forgive you of all your sins because Jesus had finished God's plan for your salvation. Because you see, God knows every one of you by name. He has the hands of your head numbered. God looks upon you as though you were the only person in the whole universe. He sees you and you alone. Jesus had the capacity to think of you and he loved you enough to stay on the cross was there ever such love as that when he could have been rescued and taken back to heaven and to sit on his throne but he didn't he said no I'm doing it for the joy that is set before because he saw that he would be raised from the dead he saw That there would be a gathering in the generations to come of a people for his name that would make up his body. He saw the day when we will reign with him in his kingdom.